the muzzleloaders.com podcast, your source for all things muzzleloading. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Muzzleloaders podcast. Uh, very excited for this episode in particular because we are in Belt, Montana, and we are hanging out with the Shearer family. We have Chad Shearer with us today, and uh, we also have Brad back on the podcast too, yeah. so really excited about that. Um, and so if you don't know, Chad and the Shearer family, they are on Shoot Straight TV, but I really want to let Chad kind of introduce himself because he's a man that wears a lot of hats. So <laughs> yeah, we wear a lot of hats in the industry. Um, we have Shoot Straight TV. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. We're going on our 15th season oh, man. Um, with that. Uh, prior to that, wow. I co-hosted another show uh, for five years. So it's 20 years uh, on outdoor TV. Hmm. Um, and then I got my start uh, outfitting and guiding and uh, was one of the youngest outfitters to ever be licensed in the state of Montana at 24 years old. And wow. uh, so that kind of is how some of the things started. And uh, currently I'm the director of advertising and media relations uh, for BPI Outdoors, which has brands like CVA, Vergara, mm-hmm. uh, Powerbelt Bullets, uh, Duracite. And uh, I do that. And then uh, Marsh and I also manage and run uh, the Bergara Academy mm. Long Range Shooting School, which is based right here. This is yeah. where, where it all all happens. And then besides that, we do about uh, 30 to 40 seminars a year all over the country uh, from big events like the, the, the Harrisburg Sports Show up there mm. that NRA puts on. Mm-hmm. We've spoken at Safari Club. We we speak at a lot of those and then a lot of wild game feeds at churches also. So uh, we've got a lot of things going on that keeps us busy. And then, yeah. of course, our two boys, Walker and Wyatt, they're right along there. They're with us. They're they're adults now, which that's a whole new step <laughs> of our life. And and uh, but they they both uh, participate a lot in what we do. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's really cool that uh, you know you'd mentioned some of the seminars and things that you travel around a different country and get to do some of that stuff. And I think that's that's excellent. I want to dive into some of that stuff later. But uh, I think a lot of what a lot of people want to hear about is the hunting aspect of everything that you do. And you know, got a lot of exciting stuff coming up as far as hunts go. Um, but how did you get started? in the industry, you know, cause your job, a lot of people would look at it and be like, man, that's gotta be the greatest job ever. How did you get started and all that? Where did that all begin? Well, I'll just tell you when you grow up, you have these notions of what you might want to do or, or what you think you're going to do. I was going mm-hmm. to college. I was, uh, working in, in business, looking at my business degree. And then as I progressed on that, I thought, well, I might want to be an attorney. So I started taking business law and I was going down that direction and it's just neat how God works because I had an opportunity when I was in high school to write a paper and the paper was exciting jobs to have. That was the title of it. Hmm. And we could pick whatever we wanted. So I did the research on being a, a guide an outfitter in Montana. Hmm. I remember it. I was, a, I think, a sophomore in high school. And so I sent out back at that time, there was an internet. I'm kind of dating myself, uh, but I sent out letters to these guide schools and asked for information so I could write this paper. Yeah. And they sent me information on their programs. And what was really unique was I got it. I wrote the paper, graduated high school. I was hunting, fishing every chance I could get, taking friends out, uh, taking elderly people out and helping them get their deer tags filled so they meet for the freezer. And that, mm-hmm. that was always a fun thing. And lo and behold, I was in my, uh, it was actually my junior of college. And I get this phone call from a man named Keith Rush. Keith had Lakeview Guest Ranch and Guide School down mm-hmm. in Southwest Montana, about 300 miles from here. 
And he said, hey, um, I'm just doing some follow-ups on people who have uh, uh, inquired about our guide school. And I'm sitting there, follow-ups? And then I realized, I said, that was five years ago. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I'm a little slow on my follow-ups. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in college, and, and uh, I said, I'm, I'm working this. He goes, well, do you, you want a guide? I'm like, Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> do I want to be an attorney? Do I want a guide? And I'm like, well, I said, talk about it. He said, well, why don't you come down mm -hmm. and, and we'll chat. So I went down there. I had my elk calls because I'd been elk calling quite a bit and called in some bulls, learned quite a bit, was using mouth calls, I even did some local competitions. And I went out there and we talked and we hit it off. And he said, you know what? He's like, I'll make you a deal. I said, I know how to hunt. I know how to hunt elk. Cause most of, a lot of these people that were going there were coming from back East and they'd never okay. rode horses and never packed or anything. I said, here's the deal. I know how to ride. I know how to hunt, know how to call. Mm -hmm. Grew up here in Montana. I said, but I don't know how to pack mules. He said, I'll make you a deal. You come down on the weekends when you're not working it. Cause I was working at UPS while going to college. And he said, I'll teach you how to pack. He said, but in return, I want you to come guide for me and I'll trade out your guide school and you guide for me for two weeks for free. And I thought, <laughs> what a deal. I get the experience. Yeah. And then I get to put my feet in the water a little bit and see if I'd like it. So I went down there. I spent all the summer, every day I could get, I drive 300 miles after work on Friday morning. Cause I worked nights. I would go down. We'd, we'd sit there, pack mules, learn all the, all the diamond knots, the hitches, all, all this and then go out and they'd have customers in. So we'd guide them on summer trips there and getting that experience, learning the lay of the land. Mm -hmm. Well, September rolls around. So I adjusted my school schedule and uh, he said, well, I need you down here. And so I show up. He's like, all right, got your first clients. You're going out. I'm like, perfect. He's like, no pressure, but it's a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I've never professionally guided anybody in my life. He's like, you're my best elk caller I have because I'd been playing around and doing competitions. Like, I want you to do that. I'll send another guy with you if you need some help on any of the areas. But he said, I want you to do the calling. Hmm. I'm like, okay, 21 years old. <laughs> TV show was Midwest Outdoors at the time. And that, that it was a pretty big deal. I take him out. We get on the horses. I ride up the mountain at first light. I'm like, all right, get up on this flat. I want to call. Mm -hmm. I take my mouth call out. I hit it and boom, a bull fires up, tie off the horses. I'm like, let's go, let's go. He's coming. I mean, he was screaming. <laughs> you run up. I set the guy up. The camera's right behind me. I cow call. Five-point bull comes in to 20 yards. Perfect. Hmm. Broadside. I'm laying under the tree, and I watch the guy go on full draw. I'm like, shoot. Shoot. <laughs> shoot now. <laughs> And nothing and i'm like and i'm looking and i'm looking at the camera and i'm like i'm a rookie guy and i'm like what do you do this bull should be <laughs> and finally the bull starts getting nervous i cow call he's standing there one more second and i see hear the guy go <sighs> and he lets his bow down <laughs> and the bull takes off i was like was it not big enough what, what was the deal because i didn't yeah. know i was a rookie guide he's like I got bull fever. I couldn't even <laughs> shoot. And that was my first guided experience ever. And I wow. was, I was hooked. And, yeah. and so 
from there, I guided for Keith for um, three years. And back then you had to guide, well, you still do. You had to guide for so many days to get your outfitter license. And so I followed through all the steps and I got it because in, in 94, 95, they were putting a moratorium on outfitters in Montana. So wow. unless you bought someone out, you couldn't go and uh, get an outfitter license. Hmm. Well, I worked at UPS, was going to college. And uh, I saved my money. I had $10,000, and I knew I could make it 18 months to pay my bills, pay the insurance on vehicles. And my grandpa always said, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I went for it, and uh, that's 30 years ago almost uh, for my first day guiding. And uh, (laughs) we've had a lot of fun and a lot of got to meet a lot of clients, and then we start our own business, and that was pretty cool. Wow. How has the elk hunting in Montana changed over that period of time? You know, I would just tell you a lot of calls, a lot of different things. Bull, there's there's higher numbers actually in Montana now. Really? Okay, um, but the bulls are can be somewhat call shy, mm-hmm. so you've had to change your your techniques and the way you call them in. Yeah, um, I remember during that process when I was just starting to guide, um, I was competing at elk calling competitions. Um, I'd won the Eastern United States elk calling competition for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation twice won the world and uh later on but while i was doing that i met some outfitters from new mexico okay and uh after one of the competitions he's uh, an outfitter came up and said hey uh what are you doing this fall i said well i'm guiding (laughs) montana and he's like you want to come to new mexico and i'm like yes (laughs) so i worked it out so i went down and guided new mexico the year before i got my outfitters license and it was like kid in a candy store because <laughs> hunting montana bulls they were a little more tougher to call in and the numbers okay. i went into new mexico back in the mid 90s and i mean i had bulls screaming in and coming every direction and <laughs> oh, i wow. mean i had several guys shot bulls with me that week and i'm like wow this is this is <laughs> awesome so i did that and then we we got into starting uh, at that time i started central montana outfitters okay. uh, in 1994 the beginning of 1995 and that was a whole other story how that all took off <laughs> yeah and and so you're saying then the bulls were a little bit easier to call in or or is it just changed in the way you call now it changed in the way you call elk are always tough to call in yes i i will just tell you that but they hadn't heard a lot of people back then they were using the copper tubes that you would wind up and sound like a whistle. Okay. Well, revolutionized with mouth calls. And that's what, when I was 16, I started using mouth calls and when I could use those mouth calls, I could get sounds and the grunts and the squeals and, mm-hmm. and, uh, it really revolutionized things. Mm-hmm. So, and now the bulls are all used to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are. And so, I mean, we could do two hours just on elk calling and yeah. and tips like that. Um, but one of the things I've learned over the years now is I tell people call less for more bulls. Limit your calling. And I like to do this. I like to get in their back pocket. When I first started, I'll tell you, 16 years old, if I heard a bu- bull bugle yeah. and he was a mile and a half away, I set up and thought I could call him in hmm. to me. Yeah, And I would call elk in to me, but as the more trial and error, the only way to learn is get out there and mess up. And yeah. I messed up plenty of time, <laughs> but I called tons of bulls. in. I mean, there right. was years back then I'd call 30 to 50 bulls in for people. And you really, you start figuring it out, and figure <laughs> yeah. out how to set up. And the one thing I learned is if it's not right, don't push it. 
Yeah. You are not going to make it. They always create your own luck. Well, that's true to a point, but if it's not right, back off, wait till it's right, get the wind in your favor and then yeah. go in. So there's a lot of times I get three to 400 yards from a bull before I'd even make a call. I'd hear him or I'd do a locator call. He'd fire up. I'd move in, mm-hmm. get in his back pocket, assess the situation. I tell, tell people taking their temperature yeah. and then decide, okay, am I going to cow call? going to bugle does he got cows with him yeah is it the first part of the rut is it peak rut what where is he at where's his mind mindset but the biggest thing is try not to educate him yeah don't they don't need to be any smarter than no. they already are <laughs> yeah i educate a lot of bulls <laughs> and, and i tell people this in my seminars all the time i said one thing you don't want to do is so many people will go out and they think they're scouting and they'll go on these logging roads that are open. They'll drive their vehicle or their four-wheeler dra- down, get out, bugle, don't hear anything, drive a little farther, bugle. All of a sudden, they come back and here's an elk standing in the road. <laughs> they're educating these elk yep. um, when they're doing that. So I always say, don't practice on the elk. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And so, and you obviously have a lot of experience elk hunting, uh, but I see a, a lot of whitetails around here. And uh, so what has been some of your experience whitetail hunting? And obviously you've hunted all over the country and in the world. So what's, what's that looked like for you? You know, I've been blessed. I've hunted on five continents uh, a lot, mainly with a muzzleloader mm-hmm. uh, with that. And, uh, you know, whitetails, I love it. I love People say, what's your favorite thing to hunt? And I tell them, whatever my next hunt is. <laughs> it doesn't, it, if we're going after chipmunks or, or not chipmunks, we're going after ground squirrels or prairie dogs or mm-hmm. gophers, I'm all about it. Yeah. What, whatever. And it doesn't matter to me. It's just, it's it's fun being out there. But if if we talk whitetails, I love hunting big whitetails. And I love hunting them and getting, getting in the right place. And be, I'm somewhat of an aggressive hunter because being a Western hunter, you're moving your spot, you stalk. Yeah. And what I tell people is it's almost a displaced aggression. I'll, I'll sit there and I'll go, 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 and I sit and wait and then go. It's, it's no different than basketball. If you're playing a full-court press or you're playing a zone, you zone, zone, and then all of a sudden you need to make up some time or make it you, – you change tactics on it. Mm-hmm. So whitetails for me, number one, you got to be in a good spot. I, I tell a lot of people out there, you can be the best whitetail hunter in the world but if you're not in the best whitetail country, you're not going to consistently take big deer. Mm-hmm. And I've been yeah. blessed. I've I've taken a lot of bucks over 150. I've taken them over 170. And the thing I've learned is I've had to change tactics. My best whitetail was a hunt that was a five-day hunt in Kansas. Nothing was working. We had trespassers coming in on us on areas mm-hmm. we could hunt. I even had a guy come behind the blind I was sitting in and shot a doe 100 yards from my blind right at peak time and he said oh the rancher said i could come hunt does in here i'm like are you serious and i had a buddy of mine had trail cam pics of these deer in there there's two monster bucks in there so it was the last day and we got talking and he's like you know i don't really like doing deer drives Mm -hmm. i said well let's do a scent deer drive where he walks with the wind at his back and i'm just going to shadow i'm going to be down for four or five hundred yards see what what's coming out and then adjust and and sure enough, he started walking. I watched this doe come out, doe come out, and it was a just a creek bottom out in the prairie. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this big buck comes out, and I saw him, and he ducks back in. So I circled around. He didn't see where I was at, circled around, and he just kept slowly, my buddy slowly with that wind at his back, and that buck kept turning around, looking at him, looking at him, and he came out 100 yards, and I, 
I hammered him, and he he went one seventy four. Um, oh man! Wow. And Jeez. he had a broken brow tine on him that would have been pushing right at one eighty because he had six inch. We had trail cam pics of him with that double brow tine, but those are just things you you get out there and whatever scenario you're in, mm-hmm. be flexible. I mm-hmm. tell people you can't control the weather, yeah, and you can't control how the animals are responding. But you can get out there and you give it your best and you adapt to the conditions. I mean, windy days versus a calm day versus a storm coming in and uh, and know where the food is. They're going to go where there's food. So you've got to be able to adapt to that, too, and know that those big bucks go nocturnal and they get a little <laughs> pressure and they're sneaky. And I, I remember 17 years old, a, a buck I shot. I'd never seen this before. A buddy of mine wanted to shoot a doe. And I'm like, well, it's the first first part of the season early october we're hunting whitetails I said, i'm taking my shotgun because there's pheasants in there i said you see a doe comes out you shoot it i'm going to shoot pheasants we go down in this draw and i hear this all this scratching and i'm like what is that i'd never seen anything like that i'm like hey switch switch i said does don't do that all of a sudden this big five-point whitetail and western count five yeah. by five <laughs> ten point in these stands up on his hind legs and looks over the brush where we were at. It was this brushy what? bottom, and I'm looking at him in the eyes, and he took took off and shot out of the bottom, and I shot that buck, and I was like, you know what? That was He was crawling away, sneaking away from us, and he stood up to look at us. I never experienced anything wow. like that, but was was fortunate to take that. That was my biggest whitetail when I was 17 years old, and that was my first good whitetail buck. But wow, whitetails do weird things. They do. They're smart. Shifting gears from hunting, Chad, you do a lot of other things in the industry. Uh, let's go into some of that. You know, you said you work with BPI and, and you have the TV show. You want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's neat how this all happened. Um, how it started with TV and BPI kind of all, all go together. Dudley McGarity was the... Uh, when he, I first met him, he was a national sales manager for CVA. Oh, wow. And... Uh, so he he uh, was at a Bass Pro um, Sports. I'm sorry. He was at a Bass Pro uh, Classic. I was trying to remember what they called them <laughs> back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had these every fall. And uh, I was doing an elk seminar, and I just out of the blue ran into him, and we began talking. And I was doing seminars there, and he was there for CVA. And as we got talking, uh, we t- brought up Montana. Well, he's a traditional bow hunter and likes to bow hunt. And he's like, well, what, what yeah. muzzleloader are you shooting? I'm like, oh, it's Montana. We don't really have a muzzleloader season. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, you think about shooting some stuff with a muzzleloader? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Because my <laughs> great-great-grandfather, he was a professional hunter in the 1800s. And uh, really? some of these bucks that are here, uh, the the one right above me, actually, he uh, he took um, with a muzzleloader back then. And his job was, was feeding uh, the lumberjack camps. And I had a chance to talk to my great uncles and and ex actually in the the history books around uh, Midland, Michigan, and it talked about the number of bears he'd take every year and mm. and all that. So he's a big muzzleloader hunter. So I'm like, man, this would be kind of cool. That's cool. And it's neat. I have his muzzleloader now, and and uh, learned a lot about the cap locks and flint locks and all that. But mm-hmm. so Dudley uh, talked to me, and I'm like, yeah, we can get some stuff in Montana. Well, the more we talked. He knew I outfitted, 
and he's like, well, I'd love to come up to Montana and hunt. I'm like, absolutely. So he got a group together. And so I got to start guiding him in the, mm-hmm. in the mid nineties and mid to late nineties. And we just became friends and yeah. doing that. And one day we were sitting in hunting camp and we we're talking. And he's like, Hey, we got a TV show called black powder guns and hunting O'Neill Williams, a host, but we need a co-host to go and do some more hunts is it's a lot. Cause O'Neill had O'Neill outside. He's like, are you interested? I'm like, well, I'm outfitting my wife. we got two babies. I'm like, <laughs> what does it entail? He's like, well, you'll have to go on like six hunts a year for us, Alaska, maybe Africa, place that. And I'm sitting there going, I'm guiding everybody else right now. We had a very successful guide business and I yeah. had 14 guides working for me. And, and I'm like, but I'm never pulling the trigger anymore, hardly. I'm like, this could be fun. So I talked to Marsha, and we we talked about the travel time. And she's like, yeah, I think we can, we'll work this out. And I've got a very supportive wife and very blessed with that. So mm-hmm. we worked it out. So I started, started doing that for them. And yeah. after we would go on the trip, and they would also entertain customers, and they were taking outdoor riders on trips. And, mm-hmm. and I knew a lot out outdoor writers because they would come hunt with me with our business and we did a lot of corporate stuff and and uh it, it's some of those four stories with that some of the clients we'll get in that later but like uh, uh david blanton from realtree i guided yeah. him on his first meal deer and just oh, some different cool. people in the industry <laughs> and and so <clears throat> dudley comes out we're we're hunting and we're sitting up there and he's like we need this we need you to do that if you're interested i'm like yeah that would that'd be exciting that'd be fun so I started doing that. And after doing that for six to eight months, he said, you know, we're getting really busy and, and it's taking time from him. And then Nate Treadaway, who's now our CEO, Dudley is semi-retired. He's still very much <laughs> a part of it. Um, but he, he said with the positions, we need somebody to, to work with our media. Mm-hmm. And this is around 2000 because I've, I've been okay. with the company now for 20 years. Mm. And, uh, I said, well, what does that entail? He goes, well, you still do the hunts, but you take outdoor writers with you so they can write about the products. Okay. And so I'm like, okay. So I said, well, what, what's the position? He said, well, we'll make up a position. You're going to be director <laughs> of advertising or you're going to be director of media relations. So I started doing that and I was taking outdoor editors from Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, American Hunter, American Rifleman, Deer and Deer Hunter, you name it the a-level writers i was taking them on hunts all over the world and Mm -hmm. developing just great friendships that i still have today with many of them yeah and so we would take them on hunts and while we were doing that we were filming episodes for black potter guns and hunting and and that was growing and and uh, after uh, a few years of doing that they said we want to expand into more tv would you host your own show they said, we'd be your title sponsor. And if you could get some more sponsors, are you interested? And I said, you know what? That sounds exciting. I'd, I'd love yeah. to love to make a go at it. I said, I don't <laughs> know. I haven't done this. Well, then Marsh and I were talking, well, I'm going to shoot 13 episodes a year. That's a lot of animals to get done. Our <laughs> boys were four and five at the time now. Oh, wow. And and we got talking about it. And I said, you know what? Because oh, I, I had seen a lot of TV hosts that, they got so involved in that part of their career that it really affected their families, right? Especially their wives and and their kids, and they'd be gone six to nine months a year. 
And, and I told Marsha, I said, the only way that I can see this work is if we do it together as a family. Mm. And she's like, you know what? I'm on board. The boys are four and five. And, <laughs> and so just thinking, doing this together as a family, I never knew it would be such a great idea. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking at it from a marketing perspective. I was looking at it as how can I have that time with my boys as they're growing up and time with my wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've got to travel the world. Walker and Wyatt are now, um, well, Wyatt's just turned 19 and Walker 20. And they filmed in Hawaii. They've been 300 miles north of the Arctic Circle. They've been to Africa, I think, three times now. And They've been just all over. Walker travels when he went to Spain, and and it's neat because now Walker edits our TV show, runs mm. camera. Wyatt will jump on camera either in front of it or behind it, and mm. uh, Marcia uh, does that and does a cooking segment. So all these things played together, and and we had several sponsors over the years say we love it because there's a, a lady's perspective. Yep, mm-hmm. you have young people that you're getting involved in the outdoors and then someone who's a little more veteran who was a guide in there and and it all just it's all clicked and and uh i'm very thankful for my family because we we've done it together but now looking back i have all the boys as hunts documented for the last 15 years every their first deer their first and there were four and five when they took their first deer in turkey and Mm -hmm. and and just the stories with that, and I'll tell you, it just fills my heart to think of, I got mm. to spend all this time with them. They yeah. traveled the world. I got to, you know, with my wife and, and Marsha was so awesome. I mean, it's tough when you're taking young, young kids out there in the field yeah. and making it right. Cause I never want them to feel pressure and go, mm. Oh, you have to do this. Or if you don't succeed, you're, you're not going to no. And I would just tell you, now they're faster than I am. I mean, we were shooting ducks and geese in Saskatchewan a couple of years ago, and I'm like, I kind of take pride in some of my shooting. And <laughs> all of a sudden, I've got them on both sides of me, and here's this double coming in, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll shoot left, swing to the right. I go up to the left one to shoot, and I hear boom, and the bird drops. So I swing to the right, boom, I see the other bird drop, and I'm like, <laughs> "You guys have gotten way faster than you used to be." So yeah, so that's that's kind of uh, where it all started, and I, I still hold that role mm-hmm. as director of media relations and now advertising. They added that on there as ad placement. I mm-hmm. work on getting ads in the magazines okay. and with TV and, and uh, still working with media and taking them on, on hunts. Cause that's a vital role. We want, we want people to see our products out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. And you've gotten a, a behind the scenes look at an industry that we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Everybody that we've met, everybody involved is awesome people to be around. They're all salt of the earth people. And so what has been your biggest takeaway from the last you know, 25, 30 years of being involved in guiding with, you know, people of the muzzleloading industry. What's been the biggest takeaway that you, you treasure today? You know, one of the biggest takeaway, I've been able to guide a lot of famous people mm-hmm. over the years. Um, Tim McGraw was actually my first client I ever guided. Um, <laughs> that was, that's a whole story right there. Uh, Trace Adkins, um, the guys from Alabama, Jeff Cook from Alabama, mm. uh, he he fished with me several times, and and uh, NASCAR folks, it, it's funny. Uh, Richard Childers, he he came up and brought his two grandsons, which one of the grandsons, <laughs> Ty uh, and Austin, Austin, Austin and Ty, Austin yeah. just won the uh, uh, Daytona last year, mm. year before. And I'm just sitting there going, I guided him on his 
first mule deer in Montana. Now he's <laughs> running Daytona. And, and so I've, it's Dude. one of the biggest takeaways I've got from all that is these guys put their pants on one leg at a time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're just like a, they have very busy, very, very high stress jobs. And they use the outdoors as an escape mm. and they use it to just get out there and whether it's bonding with their family and like Tim, one of his trips, he was up with us numerous times. And one of his trips, he brought his dad, Tug McGraw, uh, who's a pitcher for the Phillies and, yeah. and other mm-hmm. organizations and, and having them sit around the campfire and just pick guitar and just be a part of their life for a little bit, but become friends and, yeah. And, yeah. and realize that, you know what? Everybody has a challenge. Everybody has a battle. Everybody's going through something. Tug ended up, and uh, he passed away shortly after that trip. And and just being there and being around those people mm. and, and saying cherish every day you have in the outdoors, and you're not promised tomorrow. Yeah. You're really not. And, and my biggest takeaway is do all you can and, and also do what you can for conservation. Mm-hmm. but but yeah your family put your family first and and you know there's there's no deer there's no elk there's no giant fish that's more important than your family yeah there's not and yeah. and i'll be i've been fortunate to be in a lot of places i've had a lot of scary situations and things happen but there's there's nothing more important than having that family time yeah there's just a special bond when you're out in the field with somebody um you know, that you can't recreate in other ways. And, and I don't know what it is, but there's just something about being outdoors and experiencing a whitetail hunt or an elk hunt or anything like that. And it's just the memories just, you know, last forever, really. Yeah, I heard this said one time, and it really rings true. And, and I have a TV show, so it's, it's kind of funny they say this. But I, I heard somebody say, you never remember the best day of TV you watched. Hmm. Very true. You know, <laughs> I mean, we have an outdoor TV show and there's a lot of people that live ambiguously through us and they mm-hmm. send us these notes and say, man, thank you that you guys have a show that you can do. We can watch with our family. And we don't have yeah. to have it muted mm-hmm. or worry about what language is going to be on there. And, and that's, that's important to me because I want something that my boys could watch and be proud yeah. of and, right. and, and so forth. But it, it's so important. It's, it's just the relationships. And today with social media, just the, the notes and messages we get it's it's really really amazing yeah that's encouraging so chad as somebody who's muzzleloader hunted over the last 30 years or so uh, even on the professional level but personal level as well can you talk about like some of the advancements of the guns you were using in the 90s versus some of these crazy guns coming out today especially the new htr and 40 cal and things like that can you kind of like walk us through like what was that like being a part of the industry you know, it's one of these things that it's it's no different than when I had my first bag phone in a, a vehicle, and I was like, "Oh, this is so awesome!" I can, I mean, and I remember that when I started outfitting, I got a bag phone, and mm-hmm. I was booking clients off this, and it just let I didn't have to sit in an office, yeah, to to communicate. Well, the muzzleloading industry is no different. I mean, you look at now, what, iPhone 12s and <laughs> and, and all the, the cameras on them. Mm-hmm. The cameras on, on these phones are better than the cameras we were shooting with. And we used to have 
really good quality cameras mm-hmm. at the day. Yeah. I think even filming, we had the beta cams. I mean, 15 pounds we were lugging around <laughs> out there. Wow. When we were trying to film in battery packs. It wouldn't last that long. And I mean, and some of the setups were up to 60 pounds. I mean, I had guys, oh, oh it goodness. was just crazy. And uh, so I think of that and I think of the muzzle loading too. Mm-hmm. You go all the way back to the flint locks and the cap locks, and then all of a sudden you get into the inlines. Mm-hmm. And I was part of the generation that was doing seminars, and I'd be sitting there with Tony Knight back in the day, and we'd just wow. hang out. I mean, yeah. you go to these events and you go to speak, and he was speaking on one thing, I'm speaking on another thing, and 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 different different things that have happened in the industry. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I've loved over, over the years is I I've been a vital part with CVA and, and watched that evolution of the inline muzzleloader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember shooting the old CVA Kodiaks. And I mean, I shot Kate Buffalo with that over in Africa. <laughs> wow. And it, today with the technology and, and you limited yourself. The biggest thing is you limited yourself to the equipment that you had and it was a little more persnickety for the words or <laughs> temperamental would probably be more of a better word that you had to be so consistent. And today right. I tell people, you still have to be consistent, but you have so many variables that have gotten better. Right. Powders have gotten better. Uh, whether you're using pellets that are pre-measured from from the pirate i mean when pirate x came out and then triple seven we're like wow we're on to something here (laughs) and and you just go back and and you think of back to the old cva buckhorns and all this and and when you're you're capping them and 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 then all of a sudden the 209 primer Mm. that is really what what changed a lot of things with consistency but then we go into the 209s and you're like well, there were some that were pushing the charges forward and you're getting carbon buildup and yeah. and different things that happened and, and and you really had to figure out, okay, do I swab between shots? Do I not swab between shots? And and is how much is moisture affecting it? And if that powder, if you didn't have it sealed and stored in a cool, dry place, how is yeah. it going to affect? And it did affect. I mean, some of those powders back then would get some moisture and depending on hu- humid areas, it, it it affected them and then you go into cold places and and uh, temperatures would affect if we we're hunting saskatchewan i remember sitting in saskatchewan back in the day and i'd have hot hands around my muzzleloader just because i wanted to make sure when it's 40 below and it was cold it was colder than a mother-in-law's kiss up there i'm just telling you <laughs> we would sit there and and do things to go okay make sure that these guns would go off because you didn't want to hang fire where that yeah. gun would go pop boom i mean it just wasn't you couldn't afford that Mm -hmm. and so i i I saw all that stuff and i saw the the transitions from there and each step along the way from you go i would say the early 90s and you get into the mid 90s and then 2000 and then there were things like cva started coming out with the brake action Mm -hmm. and that brake action muzzleloader revolutionized things because all of a sudden you didn't have to take the bolt out and take this long Mm -hmm. Uh, tool to get the breech plug out yep. and, and cleaning it. The biggest thing is it made it easier for guys to maintain their guns and 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 so forth. So saw those transitions, and then we go into the the CVA Optima Elites, mm-hmm. and and that had a muzzleloader, but then you could interchange the barrels. And we mm-hmm. saw Thompson Center with the Encore, and I actually 
hunted and guided Greg Ritz at one of my, at oh, my really? place one time. So I got to see that cutting edge stuff that they were doing and CVA was doing and, 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 and these different brands. And, you know, you, you watch that and then you fast forward to today and this long range craze in the center fire stuff, but going, okay, we're going to go to a Vera flame. And the, with the Vera flames, you, you started getting the variances sometimes with a shotgun, a 209 primer, you can have a hundred feet per second variance with oh, some wow. of that. And when you go into a Vera flame with a large rifle primer, not a Magnum, a large rifle primer. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that in some of the new CVAs coming out, not just the long range stuff, but even in the Acura models, all of a sudden you're getting consistencies that are in sing- single digits variances yeah. mm-hmm. and so much with the powder. I mean, great powders came out when IMR white hots came out. Oh, mm-hmm. I was like, this is a bomb. This is great stuff. <laughs> and that is still an incredible powder. And then you go yeah. into the Blackhorn, and Blackhorn's a, a great powder. And I don't think anybody could have really envisioned how successful that that is. And then getting into the long-range muzzleloading. When CBA came out with the Paramount, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you shoot 300 yards with a muzzleloader. Yeah. And I went out and I started doing that. I was like, mm. and knockdown power my first antelope I shot with that gun when I was using a prototype was I think 309 or 311 yards. Hmm. And then when they came out with the Paramount pro this here just last year and 40 caliber and 40s, the new 50. And all of a sudden you can shoot 400 yards with it. And it's coming out of the barrel over 2,700 feet per second. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. I mean, you're you're having amazing ballistics. I had an outdoor rider with me last year with the prototype. We we shot an antelope at 405 yards. Wow. An antelope <laughs> with a muzzleloader. <laughs> with a muzzleloader, the bullet passed through him. The antelope just went off, tumbled, and I was like, I've never seen a gun with such knockdown power. Yeah. The other thing is, there's a lot of states now. About half the states are open to the 40 caliber, but mm-hmm. states are picking up on that. Like mm-hmm. Georgia and yep. Virginia, they just added, yeah, you can use 40 caliber uh, four deer. So, as more and more states update their muzzleloading regs, yeah. then we see that, and we we can see it. But I'm just telling you, I use it during rifle season because, like Montana, we don't have per se a set muzzleloading season. That's yeah different so i can use that there's no caliber restrictions during rifle season so i can go out and yeah with that we did that last year and walker i mean he i he hammered a big mule deer with it and i got a good whitetail with it and we used it on several animals so there there's been a lot of a lot of things and then optics have played a big part where states yeah allow now minnesota you can use They've changed their optics. Utah changed mm-hmm. their optics on it. Um, st- some places you still have to use open sights, and that's a great thing. Like you guys have the Colorado version of the Paramount Pro um, mm-hmm. with with the peep sight on it, and yeah. that, that Wheeler's no that peep sight on it makes a big difference. Yeah, big time. Yeah, I mean the, Williams the, peep sight. Yeah, that globe is a uh, you know just fantastic. Yeah. a lot of people have really you know, bought that and just been really happy with it, especially with the BDC on the front too. It's a really neat. Well, and there's a lot of hunters that are getting up in age and it, it's hard to see those open sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard for them to focus on it. It, it really mm-hmm. helps them. Yeah. No, I think optics is a big one. Uh, like you said, Utah changed. They used to be 
open site than one power yep. now magnification uh this year washington just changed to one power or red dots um mm. we're in oregon which probably has some of the most restrictive uh regulations in yep. the country open sites and open ignition of some sort right so mm-hmm. we, we use musket and, caps yeah and bullet restrictions and yeah yeah and and, <laughs> and you run in idaho's the same way and and that that's just it is what it is so let's yep. capitalize on the states we can use it in and yeah just enjoy it but the biggest thing is just getting out outside and and uh hunting with whatever you're able to yeah exactly and hunting with these new muzzleloaders really opens things up for people too in that you can have a muzzleloader that's going to perform like that and you're able to hunt in different seasons you know a lot of states you can still hunt you know it you can continue to hunt with that same tag in like a short range season stuff like that so um, pretty cool that you're able to do all that with the the new CVAs. So right, and there's a lot of people that with the record books, NMLRA National Muzzleloader Rifle Association, they have their record book. Mm-hmm. Safari Club mm-hmm. has a muzzleloader category. So, in fact, I just had a call from a, a good buddy of mine up here that he's with a boot company. He's like, "Hey, my buddy just drew a mountain goat tag in Montana, and he wants to use a muzzleloader." He's oh, wow. like, "What about that Paramount? What?" will you help them i'm like absolutely i'll help anybody get into muzzleloading and yeah and, and that's another thing that so many people forget about is the price point mm-hmm. you go to buy and i'm not bashing the bows because i bow hunt too right. i love using a bow i i'll use a slingshot whatever it takes i, I love doing it <laughs> but when you start thinking hey i can get in with a cva wool for or get into a, a entry-level muzzleloader for a couple hundred bucks yeah compared to when you start pricing some of these new bows and I mean, you're a thousand, 1500 or, or more, it, yeah. you start going, I can get into this relatively affordable. Yeah. And, and that's the thing I love about the different brands, how you have the adjustable spacers on some mm-hmm. of these guns so they can fit youth and smaller frame people and ladies. Yep. And, and, uh, but the biggest thing is just, is whatever you got, get out there and learn that gun, yep. practice with it so that you can, be the best shot you can with the tools you have absolutely yeah we've noticed um in a lot of especially eastern states you know you have multiple seasons and so getting a muzzleloader is another way to get another doe in in the freezer or another buck um, just depending on what state you're in and you know it is important that you know to note that muzzleloading you can get in relatively inexpensive yeah um a centerfire rifle these days one of the more affordable options is 500 dollars. right you know a a wolf with a scope on it's under three hundred dollars. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and you're still getting a great product as well. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of yep. high end features and good stuff. So well, and there are several states you can only use a muzzleloader or a straight wall cartridge mm-hmm. Very and, true. and or a shotgun. And to me, I'd rather use a muzzleloader and a shotgun any day. Yeah, yeah me too. And you shoot a slug gun, twelve gauge, the recoil <laughs> on that. <laughs> and the muzzleloaders outperform them too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think that's about all the time we have to, for today. I uh, really appreciate you having us out here, Chad. Uh, it's a beautiful place you have out here, and uh, look forward to some of the stuff we get to do while we're out here. And uh, remember, shoot straight, shoot often, have a blessed week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>